0: Right, so chapter 50, Jeremiah. So we've come a long way. We are now um, at the ninth and final oracle against the nations here starting in chapter 50, uh, the oracle or the judgment uh, against Babylon. And this, this judgment against Babylon... Um, covers two chapters, in fact, 50 and 51. And there are just about as many verses in them, in these two chapters, as there are combined, if you were to take all the other eight oracles against those nations as well. Um, Just a difference of 11 verses. So a lot is to cover in the oracle against Babylon. You know, what this demonstrates... You know, I think at least partly, anyways, it's just how important a role Babylon plays for the future of of Judah, for Jerusalem, for Israel. It's very true that they have been granted and been used um, as that role of conqueror made by the Lord Himself. But that does not mean that she will not be called to account uh, regarding how she carries out this assignment. So we have gone through many, many chapters of the horrific end, or I shouldn't say end, but um, destruction that came to Judah, to Jerusalem. Um, It was a, a wicked nation that came upon them. They're going to be called to account to it. So that's what we're going to cover. Uh, Now, due to the length of these these chapters, I'm not going to be able to do that in one Sunday. So it's going to be two Sundays. I'll cover chapter 50 this morning and chapter 51 next week, God willing. All right, so Babylon. Babylon, the name of a major city. There's also the name given to the nation itself. Uh, the city was located on the Euphrates, and if you were to try to say, well, where is that today? It's about 55, 60 miles north of uh, Baghdad today. Um, so that's, that's where you would go to find it today. Now, the land, you know, uh, was originally called Chaldea, and it's an ancient land. A very ancient land, going back to the second millennium B.C. Um, and so, uh, these the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they lived mostly south of the of the city of Babylon. But it was ne- um, Nebuchadnezzar's father. Uh, his name was Nabopolassar. Nabopolassar. That was Nebuchadnezzar's father. He was the one who kind of started all this um, and, um, in terms of the power that we see the nation have that came over Israel, that came over the known world at this time. Um, his father gained power around 626 BC. Nebuchadnezzar's father gained power about that time. Uh, and his empire lasted until it fell in 539 BC to Cyrus, king of Persia. Whom was able to accomplish a coup um, with very little killing, very little destruction needed it just all came into pieces. if you remember some of the story also from Daniel well uh, i 'm going to break this this chapter up into into little sections that 's easier to digest than if I were just to cover all forty seven verses at once in terms of a reading so we 'll start off with the first ten verses where we see and learn of uh, the prophets predicted doom of, of the empire, of the city Babylon. And we also see some hope for Israel's restoration. So chapter 50, verses 1 through 10. The word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans, by Jeremiah the prophet. Right, you don't often see that, by the way, starting out. But that's the way this one has started out, by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations and proclaim. Set up a banner and proclaim. Conceal it not and say, Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. For out of the north, a nation has come up against her which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten." My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them. And their enemies have said, We are not guilty, for they have sinned against the Lord, their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers." Flee from the mists of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of nations, of great nations rather, from the north country. And they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. All right. So walking through this, um, what we see is, you know, even though Babylon has not yet fallen, her doom and uh, her end are, are just so certain that this proclamation can be made now in um, the verses 2 and 3, you know, it's nothing's going to be held back. Nothing will be held back. All the nations of the world can breathe a sigh of relief because of this judgment coming upon them, you know, so the the Medes and the Persians, they're going to bring an end to this Babylonian reign of terror, these great nations from the north as described in, in, in the text. Now, uh, it does mention a couple things here about their gods. And I want to share some quick info on Babylonians' chief god that I got from uh, Walt Kaiser. Now, much, much of my lesson actually comes from Kaiser's very, very solid analysis. But Babylon's exalted god, whom they, they held up, well, as we see in our text, was Merodach, also known as... Um, and rendered as Meriduk, okay, and some translations say that. Uh, This false god, um, you could say, was related to the Canaanite Baal, all right? Um, Originally, Bel, and so Bel and Merodach are both mentioned in the text. Originally, Bel was the name that was reserved for the Sumerian god, a very ancient people, Uh, for the Sumerian god Enlil. Now, the chief god of the Akkadian pantheon, he writes. Now, the Akkadians were, again, they were an ancient people. Um, they were at a very, over the span of time, a brief, um, the Ak- Akkadian family had a, a very brief time of ruling, but the impact that they made lasted for centuries, for centuries, had a huge impact on the, on the area. But um, you had this this god named Bel. It had these ancient background behind this god. But as the city of Babylon, as it began to rise to the heights that it had attained uh, during this period where Nebuchadnezzar first came in and started his short dynasty with Nebuchadnezzar and, and his son. So... Uh, they What they did, what Babylon did, is they merged Merodach with Bel and called him Bel-Merodach. Um, and so in this, this merger is best illustrated, and he writes, in the Babylonian creation account, Enuma Elish. You know, they have their own creation account. Um, and so where in this account, you know, we see Bel and Merodach are pictured as one. So both the terms that we see in our Bible here um, that are used, and uh, if you were to read it and understand it in the Hebrew context, um, it would you would understand it as a tone of disrespect. Okay, that's that's what Kaisers uh, Walt Kaiser, is trying to relay to us. If you had the the ability to read uh, Hebrew and, and understand the tone that's put on here. These gods are being put out in a very disrespectful tone here. And, um, and he says this is especially true in the case of the second term here where it refers to idol here. Um, and it's derived from dung, from manure. So, you know, basically what's being conveyed here is that these idols, these idol gods are something like shameful piles of compost. If, um, you know, you uh, translate that as delicately as possible. You know, let the reader understand, and so uh, Jeremiah's uh, wording here pulls no punches, and I like to find that context whenever it's available to us. So, but we see this this enemy, the enemy of Babylon, will ironically come from the north. You know, it's what Judah has been warned of. Jerusalem has been warned of for so long now, this enemy coming from the north. Well, ironically, the same is being said of Babylon's enemy. Now, at this point, the enemy is not identified. Of course, we know who it is. It's clear that the Persians um, came and, and invaded, but they are more really to the east of Babylon, and then the Medes, they lived kind of more to their northwest of them. Those are the main enemies. These depicted as the enemies, the great enemies of the north, coming in. So, how can they come from the north? Well, the best response seems to be that for the Jewish people, the north had a very sinister association. Okay, again, that's what they've been hearing for uh, years, coming from Jeremiah regarding Babylon. So that it was, had a very sinister association with this idea of coming from the north, where this direction for where all hostile actions come from. Um, and some others predict that perhaps that was the form where they attacked from as they came around to the north and came in. You know, can't know that for certain. But we do know what it's like here being in the south, Uh, How aggressive and those Yankees can be and were, right? So we we know very well what the war of northern aggression was like. So these hostile forces coming in from the north. So it would become a colloquialism for them at this point, is what Kaiser suggests. Well, there is a a hope of restoration that is given in these verses uh, for Israel and Judah, that, that once again, They will be joined together, Judah and Israel. After being a divided nation since 931 B.C., for centuries, a divided nation, joined again. Now they will return to the Lord by seeking their God. Uh, They will join themselves to the Lord their God, and the covenant that he made with them will not be forgotten. That's what we're being told here. And as they ask which way they should go to Zion, um, the Lord will direct them. So these two people, once divided, are now being joined together in the Lord. Now, how will this happen? When will this happen? Uh, It says the time is set in those days and in that time. Well, since it involves not only the return from the Babylonian exile, because that is the immediate context that we're in, But it also includes uh, this union of a divided nation in an everlasting covenant. So this is eventually to be realized in the new covenant, right, established in the blood of Christ. So here we have wicked Babylon. Um, Also starting to, uh, you could say, the pot calling the kettle black towards the end of these verses here in 8, 9, and 10. They're just as guilty before God for rejecting him and placing their own idols above God as they are making an excuse for their, their attack to come in, calling Judah sinful. That's, you know, there is true dan- danger that lies ahead of Babylon, and the people that are there need to get out as fast as possible is what they're being told he's going to bring that alliance of those nations from the north, and they're going to capture and plunder. And so, as we continue now, uh, verses 11 through 16, the, the text starts to focus on the attack upon Babylon. And we find it that is uh, put to verse. It's in a poetic form. So let's read verses 11 through 16. It says, Though you rejoice, though you exult, O plunderers of my heritage, though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture and neigh like stallions, your mother shall be utterly shamed, and she who bore you shall be disgraced. Behold, she shall be the last of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert, because of the wrath of the lord she shall not be inhabited but shall be in utter desolation everyone who passes by babylon shall be appalled and hiss because of all her wounds set yourselves in array against babylon all around all you who bend the bow shoot at her spare no arrows for she has sinned against the lord raise a shout against her all around she has surrendered Her bulwarks have fallen, her walls are thrown down, for this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her, do to her as she has done. Cut off from Babylon the sower and the one who handles the sickle in time of harvest because of the sword of the oppressor. Everyone shall turn to his own people and everyone shall flee to his own land. All right, so the Lord... We find here is speaking directly to Babylon. He's speaking directly to them. And he repeats um, a few times. He says, Though you, though you, though you. You know, he gives them the reasons why he's going to take the action that's described in verse 12. You know, the reasons being because Babylon rejoices, because they are rejoicing and frolicking over this destruction and wickedness that they have wrought throughout not only to Judah but to the entire known world at that time <clears throat> another reason being that Babylon is glad as they plundered God's heritage as they plundered Judah oh so God of course takes that personally and Babylon frolics about like heifers and stallions, they are greatly excited. So they are rejoicing in their wickedness, and what they have done. So basically, they, they enjoy conquering Judah too much. They enjoy it too much, you know. Uh, this great empire of Babylon is going to be reduced to shame, disgrace, and, and being regarded now as the least among the nations. It won't even exist as a nation, in fact. She'll be so badly beaten by the, those conquering armies, the Medes and the Persians, that all who pass by will, will hiss. You know, they'll, they'll whistle in amazement. You know, this, those very same words that were predicted about Judah, it's gonna happen to Babylon. So what we find here is, you know, Babylon is not innocent. Yes, they are an instrument in God's hands, but they are not in, innocent. Uh, she has sinned against the Lord, in verse 14. So their defenses are going to come down. Uh, the, they'll surrender, and the Lord will take vengeance on her. you know what comes around goes around. That is a an aphoristic statement, if there isn't one at all. And her invaders will will cut off food supplies. You know, this this idea of the sower and the sickle being put down. There will be starvation. You know, the many nations that once uh, were exiled to Babylon will finally be freed to return to their own homelands. So great judgment comes upon them. This attack, it will be... Very decisive. Next, we find ourselves in verses 17 through 20. You know, we take a, a brief break here from the poetry, and we see the Lord stepping in, and He is rescuing His scattered flock. So let's read those verses 17 through 20. Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First, the king of Assyria devoured them. And now, at last, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing punishment on the king of Babylon and his land, as I punished the king of Assyria. I will restore Israel to his pasture, and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan, and his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel, and there shall be none. And sin in Judah, and none shall be found, for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. Very new covenant term vibes here that we see. So once again we see the focus of this passage shifting to the, the Lord's people to Israel, who are described here as hunted sheep. So they're seen as these lost and, and hunted sheep, driven from their land, first by the Lion of Assyria, and now most recently by the Lion of Nebuchadnezzar who's gnawed on their bones. What, what a vivid description. Well, as a result of this oppression, God's gonna bring disaster on Babylon. He will judge them because he's a God of justice. He will not let sin go unpunished. He will judge them. And he'll bring disaster on them just as he had already done to Assyria. But he will restore Israel to their own pasture. He has his special eye, his his heart set upon his people. But there, of course, is more. And with our... With Christ's first coming, referred to as in those days and at that time, God will so thoroughly forgive the sins of his people, his his true people, that a search will be made for their guilt and there will be none. No longer will the guilt of sin stand between God's people and God himself, reconciled. That's a a beautiful way we find ending that section. Now next, verses 21 through 32. We're back into poetry, mostly poetry, mostly verse. Uh, The Lord's giving his command to attack Babylon. All right, so let's read that, verses 21 through 32. Go up against the land of Merah. Meratham, against the inhabitants of Peked Kill and devote them to destruction, declares the Lord, and do all that I have commanded you. The noise of the battle is in the land and great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth is cut down and broken. How Babylon has become a horror among the nations. I set a snare for you And you were taken, O Babylon, and you did not know it. You were found and caught because you opposed the Lord. The Lord has opened his armory and brought out the weapons of his wrath, for the Lord God of hosts has a work to do in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from every quarter, open her granaries, pile up. Pile her up like heaps of grain and devote her to destruction. Let nothing be left of her. Kill all her bulls. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day has come, the time of their punishment. A voice. They flee and escape from the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God. Vengeance for his temple. Summon archers against Babylon, all those who bend the bow and camp around her. Let no one escape. Repay her according to her deeds. Do to her according to all that she has done. For she has proudly defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, her young men shall fall in her squares, and all her soldiers shall be destroyed on that day, declares the Lord." Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts. For your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall, with none to rise up, rise him up. And I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all that is around him. All right, so first going through this, we see this the unidentified invading of soldiers are ordered by God himself to attack the land of Mar- Marathium, which probably means in translation, double rebellion. Some of your Bibles may even note that in, in a little text note, double rebellion. They are also given orders uh, to go against the inhabitants of Picad which is the name of an Aramean tribe that has settled along the east bank of the lower Tigris, Tigris River, so joined in with them in some way. Uh, they were known in Babylonian sources in their own records um, as the Pukudu, if I'm saying that correctly. But it is also a, a wordplay that we have here again. So Jeremiah's kind of known for that with his wordplays, uh, it means punishment. So we have these word plays of double rebellion and punishment being used to describe um, those who will be conquered. So Pekod and Merathim are, are just another way to represent this: the whole nation of Babylon as being hostile and treacherous, rebellious. And then we see the sights, we see the sounds, we read of the laments of this ensuing battle as they're graphically depicted in verses 22 through 25. It's as if the Lord is, is from heaven barking out the orders to the arm, armies attacking Babylon come from this direction, go here, bring destruction here, destroy the granaries. You know, Babylon has trapped herself by the same schemes that she used on others. They're going to come back upon her again. So Babylon, here as we see in verse 23, uh, once known as the hammer on the whole earth, indeed God's hammer, if you will, is the receiver of the judgment now. Uh, the Lord's treasure house is is the arsenal from which he's going to bring out the arms of the nations as they are ordered to attack them. Because the Lord has a work to do in the land of the Chaldeans. And he will do it. You know, what happens here in verses 26 about, and even into 27, what happens to their granaries, uh, to their bowls? You know, it's, Representing what's going to happen to all the resources of the city, of all all the people there, they're, they're being told to escape and flee while they can. Will be starvation. It will all be destroyed, except for perhaps maybe a very few who even escape. Now, why is this coming? It's because they defied the Lord. They've defied the Lo- the Holy One of Israel. That. In their attacking, they have acted proudly. And they were brutal in carrying out these acts. Brutal in their military strength. This is why God is against her. She is uh, arrogant, terribly arrogant. But it will stumble and fall. Uh, The Lord, He likes to bring down the proud now he is a merciful god and every one of us are fortunate to fall into the hands of a merciful god for our own pride and arrogance but he brings them down he brings them down the pride the proud will not stand and this indeed is seen here depicted in this once extremely powerful nation i mean it's hard to imagine the strength of a nation even today you know people like to talk about how strong the united states is know let's say go back 30 years or whatever the might of the united states but we've never done the things in in terms of conquering like that like they have on on other nations and gone out and swallowed up land like that it's hard to relate to such a a powerful nation that's being brought down again with very little uh, relatively small amount of, of death and destruction compared to what I mean, of those being killed, as we saw with Judah, as the Medes and Persians come and take over. So finally, we read that the Lord's purpose is to punish Babylon for their oppression is resolute. He will do it. Often when you try to, when you're reading inscription, you see the Lord repeat himself. He does that often in Jeremiah in terms of judgment. One of the things you take away from that is God is resolute in doing this. He is going to do this. So let's finish up this chapter starting in verse 33. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast, they refuse to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will surely plead their cause that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword against the Chaldeans, declares the Lord, and against the inhabitants of Babylon, and against her officials and her wise men. A sword against the diviners, that they may become fools. A sword against her warriors, that they may be destroyed. A sword against her horses and against her chariots, And against all the foreign troops in her midst, that they may become women. A sword against all her treasures, that they may be plundered. A drought against her waters, that they may be dried up. For it is a land of images, and they are mad over their idols. Therefore, wild beasts shall dwell with hyenas in Babylon, and ostriches shall dwell in her. She shall never again have people, nor be inhabited for all generations. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, declares the Lord, so man, so no man shall dwell there, and no son of man shall sojourn in her. Behold, a people comes from the north, a mighty nation, and many kings are stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They... Lay hold of bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring of the sea. They ride on horses, arrayed as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. The king of Babylon has heard the report of them, and his hands fell helpless. Anguish seized him, pain as of a woman in labor. Behold, like a lion coming up from the thicket of the Jordan, "'Against a perennial pasture, "'I will suddenly make them run away from her, "'and I will point over her, whomever I choose. "'For who is like me? "'Who will summon me? "'What shepherd can stand before me? "'Therefore hear the plan that the Lord has made against Babylon "'and the purposes that he has formed "'against the land of the Chaldeans. "'Surely the little ones of their flock shall be dragged away. Surely their fold shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of the capture of Babylon, the earth shall tremble, and her cry shall be heard among the nations. All right, well, we see the oppressed people, the people of of Israel and Judah They are being held. They are prisoners. They are held fast by Nebuchadnezzar. But their Lord is uh, their redeemer, and he is strong. He has declared himself to be strong. The Lord is going to act in redemption. He's going to be their kinsman redeemer. My family and I are enjoying going through the book of Ruth right now. Uh, And we see this, this picture. It's being displayed again now here. The Lord is their redeemer. He is championing the cause of the oppressed people. He sees them in their affliction, in their need. So the Lord will champion the case for Israel so completely that he will give rest to Israel and the known world at that time to those afflicted by Babylon. While he brings Unrest to all those who are in Babylon. So the, there will be a great reversal of fortunes. Meanwhile, uh, Babylon, they can expect nothing but the sword. We see this through verses 35 and 38 the sword, the sword being depicted in different ways being applied in judgment against the people. It will, will, the sword's going to reach their officials. Um, the false prophets will be attacked by the sword. Her warriors. Her horses and charioteers, her treasures stored up from all the the plundering conquests. And even a sword, as we, it says drought here, but even a sword is brought on the waters. Now Babylon is, it's a land of idols. Many images it says, but they too will go mad with terror because of all. Their false hopes. Now, it is a very strong promise given here. There, for the land, it's going to return to destruction, and it's not going to have an inhabitant in it, in the city of Babylon. It will not stand anymore. It talks about the hyenas and the ostriches dwelling there. In terms of the d- degree of destruction, um, it talks about how it'll fall like Sodom and Gomorrah. Not how they're destroyed, but to the extent of destruction. it will be utterly destroyed. Now, anytime, again, you see these ostriches and and these hyenas existing where they once existed, it just depicts that um, it has become desolate. You know, these beasts, these animals, they, they exist where there's not... Where, where civilization does not exist. It just kind of again shows that picture of desolation that, that even those animals will exist there. Now we know that it's Cyrus, king of Persia. He's going to be a, approaching from the north with many kings. Um, we see in, in in verse 42, right there, they... It says, they lay hold of bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring of the sea. They ride on horses. Arrayed is a man for battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. Um, it's interesting because um, verse 42 is like, very much like verse 23 in chapter 6, with one exception, that instead of it being attacked on the daughter of Zion, it's an attack on the daughter of Babylon. Again, this reversal of fortunes. Well, the the reaction of their king in verse 33, uh, 43, you know, reading through that, you know, maybe it kind of reminded you of something similar that we read in Daniel chapter 5, where the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar, he, he sees that writing on the wall. And... Um, and his thoughts, it says his thoughts alarmed him when he saw this writing on the wall. They alarmed him. His, his limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. You know, that very night in Daniel 5, Belshazzar, the, the Babylonian king, was killed. And, and we see Darius the Mede receiving the kingdom. So we see Cyrus in these pictures. We see Darius come in. Um, these Medes and Persians conquering them. And then closing out in this section we see uh, words that are very identical to the portion of the oracle against Edom, very similar to the one against Edom, um, except that the news will travel much further than the Red Sea as it did with Edom. It's going to go to all the nations this is the earth itself will tremble it's such a mighty nation like that overturned um it would shock the known world well let's go ahead and wrap things up here let's you know jeremiah he's giving us here a wonderful picture of conversion in verse four it says, in those days and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come. And they shall seek the Lord their God. Now it's in his mercy, in, in, in his providence, the Lord brings about true repentance in the hearts of his people. And that's what's going to happen for them. That's what happened for them. They, they weep. They grieve with the godly sorrow over their sins, and those among them who are the, of the elect, they'll not only be returning to their land, but truly to their God. You know, con- Conversion is not merely an outward sign. It's something that happens on the outside. We know that. We've talked about it. It's not just a changing of their behavior, but they're going to be prompted with a new heart, a changed heart, so, he's going to turn them from their sin and humility and brokenness and grief. Something he said was one of the purposes for why he is doing this. He's correcting his people. Well, his judgment of Babylon also gives us occasion to consider really a very mysterious relationship between his sovereignty and then human responsibility itself. We, mankind, mankind in general, often tends to deny one and to support the other. You know, I'll take God's sovereignty, but I can't reconcile that with human responsibility or vice versa. But scripture always puts those things together human responsibility with God's divine sovereignty. So God, He used Babylon. He used Babylon. They were his instrument of punishment, of judgment. But after inflicting punishment upon Judah, God judges them for their sin, for what they did to Judah and the rest of the world. You know, they, they sinned. Babylon sinned without, in their actions without any reference to God at all, no acknowledgment of God at all. Uh, nothing was done in faith for them. And they transgressed God's law in every which way. They will be judged for it. You know? So what can we learn from this? This God's sovereignty coupled with human responsibility. What can we learn from this? You know, God is sovereign even over the evil acts that a nation commits that people commit. God is sovereign, even over that. Proverbs 21 verse one, the the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Good kings and bad kings. He is always in absolute control. But for the Christian, this this is a fact that we can take comfort in and rejoice in because we also know intimately, that he is infinitely good. It would be a a horror that he would be sovereign, yet bad, wicked or evil, that he is infinitely good. He, 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 in these actions, he tests the heart of men to reveal truth and to reveal also weaknesses that need his intervention, Needs his saving grace. These are things that he does for us as believers as he judges us. Yes, he does judge the church. Not in the way that we understand judgment in terms of what we read in, in Revelation. Not in terms of what came upon Christ on the cross. But he judges us in a way that he chastises us as a loving father does. Our sins are dealt with. And and if we are His, we come back to Him. We repent, and so that is that mysterious relationship with divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God is going to be sovereign over the actions of these people, but their sin is their own. Thankfully, God has paid ours, um, poured His wrath out on His Son for us. All right. We'll close there. Um and uh, we'll pick up verse our chapter 51 next week and close out the oracle against Babylon. Let me let me